Thank you for those great reminders in song uh, about the goodness of God and the worthiness of Christ, all great and glorious truths. And, and uh, you know, the enemy would lie to us and, and say that uh, Jesus is just any other religious man or religious way uh, to find life, and that is not true. Jesus is the only way. He is the only one worthy to bring us salvation. And the enemy would lie to us and say that God doesn't want you to have any fun. He's not for you. Uh, he's mean and, and restricts us in ways that he shouldn't. But the truth is God is so good. He is the creator of all good things. And we worship him today. First Corinthians chapter 6 is where we're at today. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 20, thinking about our freedoms. What about our freedoms, specifically our freedoms in Christ? And I uh, don't have any real cute or, or, or clever ways to come at this uh, today. I just want to let the argument of the Bible under uh, the pen of the Apostle Paul, divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, to speak to us, to speak to our minds and to our lives about our freedoms. Freedom is a great word, a great concept. It's a great a feeling, you know, I'm I'm a bit of a free-spirited type type person. I I chafe a little bit under uh, restrictions, and uh, I, I like freedom. I think we all really, really do. You know, our nation and our government was, in part anyway, formed around this idea, this ideal that we have God-given liberties, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These three. Uh, say those who wrote the Declaration of Independence are these inalienable rights given to us by our Creator. And part of that Declaration of Independence was that the idea was that, and as a government, we the people of the United States and the government so formed, we're going to protect those things, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Specifically, we're thinking today about freedoms and our liberties in Christ. You know, many people today all across the world live under the tyranny of an oppressive government or the threat of tyranny. I would even say that maybe right now in our own country there is this grappling. We're divided over the arenas into which our freedoms extend and those arenas or areas to which they must be restricted. And so th those are things that we're, we're grappling with as a nation. Unfortunately, I think we were pretty well. We had it right at the beginning, and now things are flip-flopping in an unhealthy and unhelpful way. You know, I, Whitney was telling me last night about uh, a, a certain person that she saw on the news this week, and I hate to embarrass Pat Williams, but uh, she said, I go to sleep really early. You know, I was asleep in my chair probably or had gone to bed. And she said, I'm watching the little clip about the news and there's somebody I know. And it was uh, Pat Williams. And she talked about how uh, Pat is uh, one of, of uh, several who are pushing for a bill. If I understand it right, I should have talked to Pat. I didn't want her to tell me not to talk about her today. So I didn't see her before the service. But if I understand it right, uh, you know, there are restrictions on, on uh, being able to visit your loved ones in nursing home and, and care facilities, and they're pushing for a bill to allow family members to go in. And uh, Whitney said, man, she, she was so good on the news, talked about, was very well spoken, and even mentioned the Lord. And uh, I thought, man, that's great. And, and I was so proud to hear about one of our members who is doing something in the government to try to protect and try to regain uh, some freedoms. Now, some of you are scratching your head because recently I told you some things about how I see the role of 
uh, a pastor and, and the corporate church. And I said that, you know, I don't see that, that politics is our primary realm of responsibility as a pastor and as a gathered church. I hope what you did not hear was me saying, and Christians have no place in politics and in governance. In fact, we live in a day and age where I think some Christians who are so-called and have the, uh, the spine of steel and the nerves and the wherewithal to do so, I think some Christians better get involved in the political realms. And uh, we need to be positive influencers in our country. And so I was proud of Pat for, for doing that, for being a voice for freedoms. And just as we value our freedoms in America... So the Bible upholds certain freedoms, our freedoms in Christ. That's a great truth. Uh, Galatians 5.1 talks about that Christ has liberated us to be free. The Apostle Paul was the one who wrote those words, as well as these that we're going to study today. So the Apostle Paul was a great champion of Christian liberty. Christian liberty. And he spoke about it, he preached about it, he wrote about it, again under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And so too, the Roman cultures and the Corinthian cultures, you know, as Western civilizations, uh, specifically the upper crust of society, man, they had great freedoms, and they valued their freedom, but probably took it to extremes. They celebrated these freedoms, and, and there was just almost nothing off limits to the upper crust of society. And many of the uh, Corinthian Christians were following suit. They were involved in things that were technically legal, but Paul says they are not lawful for a Christian. Our Christian freedoms, in other words, have limits. Okay? Our Christian freedoms have limits. All freedoms have limits, don't they? Isn't that what laws do? They, they, they put boundaries on freedoms. And they say, so a law is that, you know, you are free, but you're not free to transgress this. Because in doing so, you would take away the freedoms of others or maybe the freedoms of our society. And so that's what laws and rules do. They give, hopefully, proper bounds to freedoms. There was an idea in Corinth that for those who are free, all things are lawful for me. Now I want you to glance down real quick, and we're going to read it as a whole. I want you to look at verse 12. That's where we're going to begin in just a minute. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. It says, all things are lawful for me. And then he's going to repeat that phrase here in just another line or two. All things are lawful for me. That, we believe, is not the Apostle Paul saying that, hey Christian, anything you want to do is lawful for you. It appears there is good historical evidence that that phrase was kind of a Roman slogan. It was a mantra. It was something that the people in Corinth were clinging to, if they were indeed of the free class, they would say, all things are lawful for me because I am free. And actually, Paul is going to address that. Christian, are you free to do anything you want? Well, no. No, he's going to give some proper limits and boundaries as to what is the right expression of our Christian individual freedoms. And so we need to think about that. Let me just say very quickly, when I read specifically the book of Galatians where Paul talks about Christian freedom, he says, in Christ you are free. 
That doesn't mean you can do anything you want. Again, we've been looking at all of the things in Corinthians that Paul is writing and says, this does not belong in the kingdom of God. If you are one of these, you know, so you're not free to be a kingdom citizen and do all of these things. So he puts some limits on it. What's he talking about? What, in what sense is the Christian free? In what sense are we free in Christ? I think number one, we're free from the law, the Old Testament law, and thinking that abiding by that is going to make us righteous. Because we're made righteous. We are justified by faith in Christ alone. And so we're, we're free from thinking that abiding by all of those Old Testament laws and regulations is what's going to free us. No, we're free and justified. We're saved in Christ. And the other thing is, we're not free to do any sin that we want. There are boundaries. We are freed, listen folks, from sin. We are not free to sin as Christians. We're free, freed from it. We're, we're freed from the slavery of sin. We're freed from the consequences of sin. But when Paul says you are free in Christ, that doesn't mean go ahead and do just anything your little heart desires. That is not what it means. And to go there, I think, is to pull some things totally out of context and misinterpret what the Bible writers clearly meant. Freedom does not mean anarchy. Freedom does not mean anarchy. So now let's go to this passage as we try to gain some important principles about the Christian exercise of our personal liberties. 1 Corinthians 6, we're going to read verses 12 through 20. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with them both. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself with, to a prostitute is one body with her, for he says the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside of the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. Biblical principles that guide the exercise of our Christian freedoms and put helpful boundaries around them. So Paul begins by giving some arguments against unrestricted ideas about personal Christian freedom. So as I said, when he begins, he says, he uses that little Corinthian or Western slogan, all things are lawful for me. He's going he's to rebut that. Argument number one that Paul gives against this idea that the Christian can do anything that they want, he gives an argument from what I call simple practicality. Look at what he says at the beginning of verse 12. You may say, we could add that, you may say that all things are lawful for me, but, he, but let me push in against that. He says, but... Not all things are profitable or helpful. In other words, 
Because you can do something does not imply that you should do it. Being able to doesn't imply that you ought to. Paul says there are things that, yes, you could do them, but they would not be of benefit. They would not profit you. They would not gain you anything. They are not utterly helpful. I'll tell you what, as Christians, I feel like our society moves so fast, and new things are constantly coming at us. Buy this, adopt this, do this. And we see everybody doing these things. I'll tell you what, it wasn't that long ago. I'd been living in, in Marshall for quite a while. You know, technology doesn't come to Searcy County all that fast. And, uh, but I did have a cell phone. And uh, I remember going home. Home is Fort Smith for me. That's where I was raised. And I went to visit my parents. And my mom, I'm, I'm riding around with my mother, and she says, hey, we need to pull in Sam's real quick. I said, all right, fine, I'm just going to stay in the car. And, and, and we pull up, and there was this strange, have I told you all this? There was this strange thing going on. All the employees at Sam's that were on their break were sitting outside. It was a beautiful day. They're sitting outside on a bench, and they're shoulder to shoulder, and this is what they look like. I said, what are they doing? I think it's called texting. <laughs> like, what? No, I, I'd probably heard of it. I didn't have a phone that would do it. Uh, and and, and, and I, I just watched them. So she goes into Sam's, and I'm just sitting there. I'm, I'm baffled by like 20 people on a bench and no one saying a word to one another. And I just watched this, and it, it was fascinating. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. I thought, I thought like... There had been another bombing of the towers and people were glued to the news or something. And they're, just, they're just doing that thing. You know, that was not that long ago. Maybe, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago where I was, I was just baffled by this. That's normal today, amen? That, that's just, I mean, that's just, that's just normal. I do it. <laughs> so if you think I'm bashing on you, I, you know, I do that I do that kind of thing. I, my wife asked me the other day, she's like, why do you keep looking at your phone? I said, because my, my uh, text alert isn't very loud, and sometimes it doesn't go off, and so I was just sitting there. And, and I was thinking about on the trip from here, from Marshall to Valley, I bet you I looked at my phone 200 times. Nobody was texting me. <laughs> but, but... I was, you know, so, so anyway, here we are, and there are, that's one example of thousands of things. And there are things so often we look at that, and, and I looked at that, and I was like, that is weird. Well, now I'm weird because I'm doing the same thing. And, and so many things there are things I say, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm not letting that in my home. I'm not going to adopt that. Guess what? <laughs> so many of these things, we're, we're bombarded with all of these things. And, and Paul's argument is, listen, before you start doing things and adopting or venture in or even put your little toe in that water, you need to realize that there are things that, yes, you could do. But ask the question, would that be helpful? Would it be profitable? Would it take me in the direction that I need to go, that the Lord wants me to go? Or should I just say no? You know, here's an amazing fact. You can say no. No, I'm not going to do that. And you can stick to your guns. I'm terrible about sticking to my guns. But we can say no. I'll tell you some people who are good at saying no. The Amish community. The Amish community is interesting. And, and we all think of them as backwards. But uh, I tell you, they're, they're countercultural. But they're not backwards. 
highly intelligent, some of the best farmers, carpenters, people that there are. And we look at that, and, and we don't know much about the Amish community, and we think that they think like cars are evil. You know what? An Amish person will ride in your car with you if you'll take them somewhere. And, and we look at that and we go, man, they're, they're, they're really hypocrites. They're inconsistent. You know, the deal with the Amish is that they don't think all of these technologies and things that they spurn, they don't think they're evil necessarily. The question that they ask before they adopt something is, how will this shape my community? How will this impact what we really value? What If I bring a car... What's that going to do to my family? What's it going to require of me? What am I going to have to give up? And, and they value family, and they value tradition, and they value the community. And in general, from what I have read, the Amish say, you know what, if we all get cars, it's going to send us out, away from the home, away from our families, away from the community, and we value these things. So we're going to say thanks, but no thanks but you can give me a ride somewhere. I don't think your car is evil. I've just chosen not to bring that into my family and my community. And I would say that sort of approach that's very thoughtful and careful and measured and tries to see with foresight how something impacts my life down the road, I think that's wisdom. I think that's wisdom. And so I'm proposing that we all become Amish today. If you would, just leave your keys up here and I'll take care. No, no, of course not. But I am saying, just because we can, doesn't mean we ought. And we're not talking about cars now. We're talking about the things that we might do. We should ask the question, is it helpful? Will that be beneficial? Is that in line with what I really value as a Christian? And so that's his first argument is all things are lawful for me, you might say, but not all things are profitable. Look at what he says. His second argument here is all things are lawful for me, you might say, you would quote, but I will not be mastered by anything. Ah, It's the enslavement possibility. Hey, listen to this. Your freedom could actually enslave you. Did you know that? Exercising your freedom might actually lead to your total enslavement. I think that's his argument here. Some of the things that I might do that seem relatively harmless here actually have great power over me. We are addictive creatures. Creatures of habit. And, and there's things that we could do that seem relatively harmless or innocent. But if we could only see down the road the power of something over us, and we could look at a lot of things. We could look at substances that we might take into our bodies or experiment with. You know, there are drugs, the experts say, that one use and you are an addict. Substances can do that to us. Sexual activities have great power. Food, social media, entertainment, drink, all sorts of things. And Paul says, I don't want to be mastered by anything. I actually want to retain my freedoms. And so there are things that I say, thanks but no thanks. Because that could 
master me and I will not be mastered by anything except the Lord Jesus. So he says, think about, before you exercise your freedom, the power that something might have over you. It's the enslavement possibility that he argues against. Now, the next category of things that Paul's going to argue here as we think about bounds to our Christian freedom and exercising our liberties, he actually goes into somewhat a philosophical argument against what's called spiritual dualism. Now, the Greeks, Western civilization in general, and yes, even us, because we fall in that train, generally, here's what Greek philosophy said. You are a body, and you also have a mind, soul, spirit, an immaterial part, and those things are really separate. So that, that's dualism. There's two parts or pieces to you, the immaterial and the material. And you don't have to really worry about the material part. What you really need to worry about, what's important, is the immortal soul. It's that immaterial part, your spirit, your soul, and your mind. Let's worry about that. And basically, they said, you know what, the life of the body, a body is just kind of a vessel. It's just a thing. It's just a, a collective bunch of itches needing to be scratched. And so, when you itch, scratch. Take care of that so it doesn't detract from the life of the mind, the body, and the soul. In saying all of this, they said that they're putting a lot of weight on the spirit. But what it effectively did was made a bunch of people who were slaves to the body. And so the spiritual dualism, now look at it, verse 13. This is important. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. But God will do away with both of them. Now, now listen to this. That should probably have quotation marks around it. Most Bible scholars say that was another mantra or slogan in Corinth. Food is for the stomach, the stomach is for food, but God's going to do away with both of them. In other words, you know, you've got a stomach and it needs food. So when your stomach growls, fill it with food. Food was made for your stomach. Those two things go together. It's a physical craving. It really doesn't matter. God's going to do away with both of those eventually, so just take care of it. When the stomach growls, feed it. Ultimately, this philosophy about the body, that whatever you feel, take care of it. Whatever urge you have, satisfy it. It was a hedonistic, go after pleasures, go after satisfaction, and we know because of the talk about prostitutes that really that slogan was meant to talk about more than going to McDonald's when you're hungry. It was about whatever bodily urge and feeling and pleasure you desire, satisfy it. Okay? God made your body. Your, and so in Corinth, they believe your body, your stomach was for food, food was for the stomach, but also applied that to sexual activity you're a sexual being you're going to have urges satisfy them that is what they were teaching food for the body body for food you were made for sex sex was made for you so do what you need to do to satisfy any and all of your physical cravings no matter when they come how they might come and so it was this raucous freedom that ended in hedonistic Activities and the Corinthian Christians were doing exactly what the culture was doing. They had adopted that mantra. Hey, doesn't really matter what we do with our bodies. What really matters is the soul. 
And so Paul now corrects their theology. And I would say today that there's probably many of you here who you go, that's, that's generally how I have thought about it. I thought Christianity was all about my immortal soul, that it was ultimately about spiritual things, not so much about the body. And I love that second song that we sang. It's about that all of creation is groaning. The Bible teaches that all of creation is groaning, our bodies, our souls, even the physical earth. And that one day, hey, listen to this, redemption and restoration, the work of Christ it's not just going to mean that we go to heaven, we go to a spiritual place where there are no bodies, we're just kind of like spiritual nothing, I don't know, and we envision ourselves floating around. But the Bible teaches that the redemption that's in Christ is actually going to be applied not just to our souls, but to our bodies and to all of creation. It's the idea in Revelation when there is a new heaven and a new what? New earth. And so Paul gets into Christian theology for a minute. Look at verse 13 now. Here's how he rebuts this idea that whatever you feel like you ought to do, just go ahead and satisfy that itch. He says, your body is not for immorality. In other words, the Corinthians were saying you're a sexual being, you were made for sex, have sex whenever you want, however you want, outside of any boundaries you're free to do that because what really matters is the soul and Paul says no actually your body matters to the Lord and your body was made by God the Bible teaches that you are fearfully and wonderfully made you were created by God not just your spirit mind and soul but you were given a body hey pinch the person next to you and say you got a body <laughs> you got it did anybody not have one? You have a body that the Lord cares about. Now, don't hurt anybody, all right? Yeah, hey, hey, folks, listen. Yes, you're created either male or female. And that speaks to gender. That speaks to sex. You were created for the capacity for love, for pleasure, for enjoyment, even in a sexual way. Hey, but that's not all that you were created for. Your body was created for the Lord to walk with Him. We look back in Genesis and Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. You were created and given a body for the Lord. And the Lord cares about your body, not just your immaterial soul. To view your body as nothing more than a vessel for pleasure, specifically of the sexual kind in this passage, is to miss the great theological point that God created you for himself. God, your bodies were not some accidental byproduct. They're part of who you are, and God cares about that, and he created you with a body to walk with him, to serve him, to use it for his glory. That's where we'll finish up here in just a second. Here's another thing. Paul says you were created by God with a body. God cares about your body. One of the proofs of that is he talks about the resurrection. Now, this is uniquely Christian. And we need to not miss this. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15 is all about this. Paul says if there is not a bodily resurrection, we are of all men most pitiable and without hope. The Christian teaching about the afterlife is that one of these days at the culmination 
of this redemptive process, this salvation that comes in Christ is the dead in Christ will rise and receive resurrected bodies. What happened to Jesus after he went in the grave after three days? Resurrected. Did he have a body? Did he have a body you could pinch? Did he have a body that could eat fish? Yes. And Paul says we need to think about in this same vein of God caring about our bodies, realizing that the resurrection, which is our ultimate hope, says that bodies matter to the Lord. Here's another thing about your body. Now Paul is countering against this sexual license. Corinthian Christians going to prostitutes. They were going to these after-dinner parties where they would be gluttonous. They would drink a whole bunch of liquor, and then they had what was called the after-dinners, and that was all sorts of sexually inappropriate things that involved prostitutes. God cares about your body. He created you with a body. He's going to raise your body up if you're a Christian who is in Christ, just like he raised up Christ's body. And then he says that in your body, you actually have the real presence of the Holy Spirit. You can see this in verses 15 and 19. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? You're, you're, and I can't really explain this. This is part of the mystery of union with Christ. When you come to Christ, you have faith in Him. You are actually joined with Him in what's called union or joining with Christ. And part of what that means is He indwells you with His Holy Spirit. And Paul thinks, seems to think that that is an actual real thing that we should be concerned about. Think about this, that the holy God of the universe, if you're a Christian, has joined with you and joined you with Him and has indwelled you with His Holy Spirit. And that wherever you go, He goes. And whatever you do, God is doing with you. Whatever you look at, whatever you join yourself to, you are in essence joining Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit is participating in that with you. And again, I just want to say, as you read this, Paul does not have the idea that that's some sort of metaphorical thing. He actually thinks this is a real thing that he's arguing is happening when these people join themselves to a prostitute. You are bringing Jesus and the Holy Spirit with you because wherever you go they go they'll never leave you or forsake you and this was problematic for them and I think it should be for us the spirit of God is with us if we are Christians and we know that it is not appropriate to be sexually immoral we would never say that of Jesus or want that of God but he's with us so that's an argument that Paul uses. And then he gives something here that we need to see. He says that there are unique consequences of sexual sin. Now, some people, and in some senses this is true, that all sin is sin. It's offensive, it's harmful, it caused the death of Christ, it's inappropriate for a Christian. But Paul does actually say that sexual sin is in a category of its own. Now, does that mean that the fires in hell are hotter or any of that? No. But he says there are unique consequences and aspects of sexual sin that 
are not there with other sins. Right? So that's what he seems to be saying. You can see it there in verse 18. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but immoral, that means sexually immoral, that sin is against your own body. So, to the Corinthians, Paul would say, why would you not want to join yourself with a prostitute, even though it's legal? Even though if you're of a, so, a certain social status, you can do it, you can get away with it, why is it inappropriate? He's making all of these rebuttals against that philosophy, and he says, here's one reason you should not do that. You are sinning against your own body when you commit sexual sin. When a man joins himself with a woman, I tell you, there is something mystical that happens in that. And, and, and I can't ferret all of that out for you, but here's what I would say. God has created sex in such a way that when it occurs physically, there is something special and unique that happens. There is a joining of some kind. Not to say that marriage occurs, but it's created for marriage. And so that's part of the linkage there. That's part of the special thing. And Paul says, when you do this, you know what you're doing. If you are taking sex outside of marriage, if you're visiting prostitutes, you are sinning against your own body. You are harming yourself as well. I don't know anybody who thinks that when they do these things, they're harming themselves. But he says, that's what you're doing. You are sinning against your very own body. This special sacred vessel that God has given you, you are sinning against it. So don't do it. So here's Paul's advice in regards to sexual sin. Run! <laughs> Flee from it! Do you see that? Verse 18, that's pretty simple. Flee sexual immorality. Get away from it as fast as you can. Don't sit around and ponder it. Don't light your pipe. And, and think about it and rub your beard and think, you know, I wonder about this. He says, you ought to be like Joseph in the Old Testament when, when uh, Potiphar's wife came after him and said, man, you're really an attractive guy and my husband is not here. Uh, and she grabs at him and what does he do? He doesn't stop and turn and say, let me quote something to you. Let's reason this out. He gone. Flee immorality. And we are bombarded with this stuff today. And you know what we need to do? Be chickens. Be ready to turn and run. Shut it off. Exit out. Leave the place. Don't finish the conversation. Flee from immorality because it is harmful. It degrades your body. It drags, if you're a Christian, it drags the Holy Spirit and Jesus into these things where they would not go, they don't want to go, and they don't want you to go, so flee from it. That's his simple advice. And I'll tell you, I don't know, the Apostle Paul probably didn't know much about Facebook or uh, uh, pop-up ads or any of that kind of stuff. But I would say by extension and by extrapolation, we should think about all of the sexual immorality that comes up to us in the virtual world. And just because it's pixelated doesn't mean it's not harmful. This stuff is deadly. You should do some research on how pornography, and it doesn't matter if it's on paper or in pixels, how pornography 
reprograms the brain. And it, it actually, listen to me, it physically changes you. It physically rubs ruts in your brain such that, especially, hear, hear me young folks, tinkering with pornography is a sin against your own body. You are harming yourself. You're harming your brain. You're defiling your marriage bed if it is to come. And you will reap consequences. You may not believe that, but let me tell you, that is the God's honest truth. If you're married and you're dinking around with pornography, it will harm your marriage. Write it down. You can bank on that. Sexual immorality of any flavor and any kind, it harms you. It harms you. So flee from it. Flee from it. Verse 20 gives us the final argument, and let me just say this real quickly. He gives the argument for the fact that you were created for a wonderful, ultimate purpose, and that is to serve God with your body. Don't think that your body was just created for food or for sex. It was created for the Lord Jesus. He bought back your body with His own body on the cross. And He's going to raise your body up so He cares. He has a vested interest in your body and what you do with it and how you spend your life. You are created for a higher purpose than just eating, drinking, and sex. You are created to glorify your Creator. And so Paul's argument is, you want something to do with your body? Glorify Jesus with it. Glorify Jesus. Serve Him. Love Him. Use your body to go after Him, to worship Him, to walk with Him. Don't dishonor and degrade your Lord. Don't dishonor and degrade your body. Don't dishonor and degrade the marriage bed. Glorify God with your body. Serve Him. So often, I tell you, I think we get in trouble with our bodies when we don't have them engaged in a positive activity. You parents know that. That's why you keep your teen teenagers so busy, right? The, what is it they say? The idle hands are the devil's workshop? That's not just for kids, by the way. We need a God-glorifying vision of what we're to do with our bodies. Serve Him. That's what they were created for. Would you bow with me today? Father, I pray that You would work in our lives. Help us to see clearly where Your Word and Your desire for us as Christians is countercultural. I pray that You would give us the strength and the courage and the wisdom to be cautious and to be leery about what we jump into so quickly. That You would give us the wisdom to put boundaries around our hearts and our minds and our ears and our homes and our technologies and our families. Help us to walk in wisdom in an evil age. Lord, we know that You've placed us here in this time in this place for a purpose to be light in the darkness. Help us not to fall prey to the darkness. Help us to be different, to walk with you, to see our bodies 
That's wonderful things that you've created for you and for a good purpose. Not to be changed upon our whims, not to be degraded in all sorts of debauchery, but to serve you, to enjoy you, and to walk with you every day. Father, spring up in us a commitment to purity and holiness, recognizing that that's not just something we say or something we think about, but it's something that we do. We commit ourselves to you today. Purify us, sanctify us with an exalted vision of serving Jesus of walking with Jesus as your people. Help us today by your Spirit. Renew a steadfast commitment among this congregation today to walk in purity with our minds, with our eyes, with our ears, with our mouths, with all of our bodies. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me uh, say a couple of announcements in closing today. I just want to reiterate what John said about our little special love offering that's out there. We're going to be taking up this love offering all month long and for the Urosity children, uh, a sibling group of five that they are adopting, and uh, they're hoping to be in their house in a month. And uh, They're in the house. They're hoping to have that basement ready for those kids. And uh, so I, I want to encourage you to think about um, a generous gift towards that project as they're doing that construction. And uh, also, uh, with our little faith podcast team, we're going to meet at the Family Life Center right after this service. We've got lunch from uh, Subway. I want to give you a little bit of heads up, congregation, about something we've got brewing. We just finished a month-long men's and women's study on the gospel and appreciate the Sagers for leading us in that. Uh, We are not going to have Sunday nights Every week um, from this point for a little while, we're in the middle of retooling and thinking about discipleship and what that looks like. One of the pieces, we are trying to put together a a new podcast uh, discussing the Christian faith and some of the hard questions that we get, uh, some of the things that we grapple with in in, uh, sharing the gospel with others. And we put together a team of folks that are going to Uh, begin this new venture and let me just give you a little glimpse of what that's going to look like and ask you to think about if you want to participate in some way Um, what we're going to be doing is once a month recording a podcast uh, an audio recording about a certain topic or a hard question and it's going to be broken up into three or four pieces and that those pieces will be uploaded one a week on Sunday afternoons Now, there's only so many folks that we can involve in the recording. We actually want to involve uh, different people each month. But one of the things that I would like to see us do is for our congregation to grab a hold of those things and listen to them when they're uploaded each week and use those as springboards to discussions that you might have with non-Christians, people that you're witnessing to, but also for you to discuss with your family or maybe it might be that you once a month invite some folks to your house to discuss these things. So we're just going to be grappling with these questions and and these topics. And hopefully we're going to put together some tools that are useful by you 
and useful for you as you grapple with the gospel and how to communicate that, but also discipling your families. So if any of you, uh, we've got a team of about eight or ten people that are involved in this initial effort. If there's anybody here that's interested in knowing more, if that seems like something that's in your wheelhouse and you think you might want to be involved, uh, let me just invite you to see me and let me know that you're interested in that. Hopefully this will uh, will launch this thing and have some have some content ready in March, and that's what we're doing. All right? So no discipleship training tonight and uh, for the Wednesday nights to come, but we are working on some things for discipleship. Let me pray us out of here, and we'll be dismissed. Father, I pray that you'd help us to walk out our Christian freedom with right boundaries, with wisdom, and with love as we seek to be your witnesses with our mouths, with our bodies, with our testimony in this world. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You're dismissed.